1: Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. This episode is part two of our amazing interview with Alex Timbers. It continues from part one, obviously, that just dropped a few days ago. So if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to stop back it up and listen to the previous episode. But before you do, please visit us online at ttp.fm. Show your support via ttp.fm slash Patreon to get advance notice of these interviews so you can submit your questions and many, many other opportunities to help us out and get our episodes transcribed and lots of things that we're trying to do with, uh, with the contributions that we get. So, with that said, please enjoy part two of this episode with Alex Timbers. You used a term earlier called the emotional on-ramp, but mm-hmm. I've never I've never heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's brilliant. Because um, I was, I was as you were describing the issues, I was thinking, like, uh, yeah, you know, how early can you relate to the characters? And I guess, how much do you sympathize with them? And calling it an emotional on- on-ramp, is that something you use a lot?
0: No, I, I think, uh, no, I think it's a term I, uh, uh, I, first
1: time used it as on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> heard it here first. Emotional on-ramp, exclusive. Um... Yeah, I I really I really like that because you come on stage you want someone I guess yeah there's intention the characters have the intention you want the audience to relate a certain way at certain times. And so how do you convey that? It's costumes, it's lighting, it's the acting that itself, it's a song. Yeah, there's so much that you have to play with. Yeah. So I don't envy <laughs> the, the the need to go back and like address negative reviews, I guess. Yeah. Even if they were all positive, would you still go and tweak it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think uh, you know you listen to the,
0: the the thing about previews that's so wonderful uh, is you know every audience is seeing a performance that's only happening once, right? Mm-hmm. Because the day before you changed a bunch of stuff, the next day based on their reactions, you're going to change a bunch of stuff. So they're seeing like version, you know, 300 of this show and that will never be repeated again. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I love that time. You know, Here Lies Love, we did, you know, we we did three workshops, then we went to Mass Mocha in Massachusetts to do a, uh, a lab of that. Then we came to New York and, di- you know, and, and did a production. Then we did another production. That era of process of getting to go back and layer new things and strip mm-hmm. away things and understand what the audience is responding responding to and how you can, uh, make their emotional response greater, I think is, it's really, it's thrilling. And that's, that's the most fun part I think about, uh, being, a being a director and a storyteller in theater.
1: Have you found that the, 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 the there's our generation and it's like, you know, I'll call myself 40 now, the 40 and up uh-huh. that have seen the movie and, and love the movie that come in and have a different reaction to, to the younger kids, now the 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 twenties and late teens or whatnot who are coming for the first time and don't know the story until they see it on Broadway, is is there a different reaction like, like stage door reaction or social media reaction between the two or is it all kind of just like this is a great story? Uh, you
0: know, it's interesting because the audience, particularly this summer, I think as they've gotten to uh, like teenagers and stuff, have really gotten into the uh, the show, and I don't know if they knew the movie that mm-hmm. well. But I think what one of the things that makes that movie an Evergreen uh, is that is beyond the sort of Burtonian kind of visual style, which is so uh, so unique. Uh, it's it's the story of outsiders, mm-hmm. you know. And I think people see themselves in those characters. People see themselves in, in in Lydia and Beetlejuice and the Maitlands, and so that's been really fun. And you see it more and more, like at the theater, where uh, you have like people dressing up as the characters you oh know? really yeah and originally it's t- you know maybe this is this is interesting that you know originally it was people you know our age that was were dressing up like beetlejuice coming to the theater dressing up like a teen goth uh but now it's actual teenagers doing that and so uh <laughs>
1: you know i i think that's re- you know uh i think that's really cool and great that's so much fun yeah, the props, the sandworms, the costumes. Do you have a favorite prop or a favorite costume? I love the shrunken head guy. Oh, yeah. In the Netherworld. Yeah, totally. Totally cool. Um, if if you were gonna take one thing home with you, what would you want to take out of the show?
0: Oh, that's amazing. I, you know, I I love the sandworm, I have to say. It's just it's it's cool to see a puppet of that scale and that has that kind of uh life um, Mm -hmm. to it uh, because it's, you know, it's jaws open and it birds another sandworm inside it and smoke comes out and it's bloodshot eyes light up. It's just... Uh, I think uh, Michael Curry really sort of uh, did such an amazing job with that one. And, and there's, uh, you know, and that that sandworm comes in two parts. There's the head and then yeah. there's the tail from the other side of the stage, yeah. which is an inflatable. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love I love all the props in there. Do you go back to see the show a lot? And you, how often do you get to back to go? How often, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. how often do you get to go back and see it?
0: Uh, I see the show probably every... Two or three weeks. Oh really? Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I'll go back if a if an understudy is on sometimes, and because I'm excited to cheer them on, and uh, you know, and, and then just generally I'll go back for show maintenance. Uh, uh, you know, at that point, you know, the show really is the stage manager show and the actors show, and so I also just try. I don't want to be too much in anyone's hair, and you know, overstay my welcome. You
1: yeah. Know? Yeah. I. I don't know. I feel like if it was like my baby that I've been working on for nine years, I would go back and be like, this little thing is just not quite right. Can we go back? Do you give
0: notes when you go back? So yeah, I, I'll give notes, but I try not to, uh, yeah, but just sort of more general notes. Uh, the I When I did Blay Blay Andrew Jackson, it was my first experience on Broadway. And I wrote that show with Michael Friedman. And so it felt very much like you know, my baby in the way you're, you're talking about, uh, that kind of idea. And I went back too frequently and I learned my lesson. I think I drove the actors probably crazy. You know, they were very generous and kind and, you know, but, uh, so I, I just learned on that show, you know, you've got to give space. It's, you know, the performances are growing, uh, uh, the, the show evolves and, you know, that's, that's an exciting part of the process of doing theater. And so, uh, that's the balance,
1: you know, I, I, that I hope I've found in a little more maturity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're also, i want to move on to TV and film a little bit. Co-creator of, co-creator of the, of the Amazon series, Mozart in the jungle. It sounds like when you list bios like this, and, and I'm talking to you and you're sitting here and just a real person, like you've, You've directed these multi these multi million dollar productions and these great things, and like you're just co creating the show that now the the world can go watch. How does how does this happen? I mean, how easy is it to just go co create a show and get it on Amazon?
0: Uh, yeah, well, you know, I got approached by Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola, uh, who are just wonderful guys, and they had uh, the rights to this book, and they were. Uh, you know interested I think in having someone kind of who is in the kind of performing arts community uh, collaborate with them uh, in the pilot stage uh, a f- amazing filmmaker named Paul Whites came on who's like one of the kindest human beings in addition to being one of the most talented and and uh, and they sort of you know and then the show was off and running uh, I, I think one of the things that was really exciting about that was just seeing how a whole new world works and 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 uh, and I loved, I'm sure you do too, as a sort of fan of shows that shoot in New York, like seeing all these sort of uh, theater titans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love watching Succession. That's one of my favorite shows. And and watching just, you know, like uh, all these amazing... Mrs. Uh, Maisel. Yeah, yeah, theater actors popping up left and right. It's just, it's, uh, it's so sort of gratifying and exciting and, and uh, feels a little like... Um, uh, where's Waldo in a fun way,
1: you know? Because <laughs> you you hang out with a lot of them personally, yeah. Um, oh, hello! One of my favorite shows I've seen. I, one of my favorite shows ever to have worked on. Yeah, John oh. Mulaney and Nick Kroll. How, you're friends with with John through the com- the comedy scene, I guess, right? Uh, I actually, the way I got involved with that show was it all comes back to playing Andrew Jackson. All these all
0: these things we're talking about. Uh, after that show, and I think after the Pee Wee Herman show, I got a call about having a coffee with Nick Kroll. And so this was maybe 2010, 2011. And we had this coffee. He was wonderful. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, and it was so fun. And th- that was sort of it because we were, lived existed in a different world. Mm-hmm. And then in 2015, I remember this because I was putting up a production of Rocky the Musical in Stuttgart, Germany. And had the flu, and I got this email from Nick saying, hey, do you remember me? I have this show. Do you remember I'm, me? Yeah. I'm working with this guy, John Mullaney. <laughs> and we're doing this thing down at Cherry Lane. It happens, like, in three weeks. Uh, there's no, uh, like, it doesn't exist quite yet. <laughs> you know, would you, could we collaborate on it? And, uh, of course, you know, in those moments, you just say, oh, my God, well, I, I don't even really know what, I wasn't so familiar with Gill and George, uh, the characters, but I was, like, working with these guys, absolutely. Um, and it was this sort of heavenly experience. Uh, they were, th- this is sort of extraordinary. I think uh, uh, the theater makers will really think this is as amazing as I do. They were teching the show at Cherry Lane during the day and night. And then at midnight, going to the UCB and performing the show, like, which was at that point two hours long and, uh, and performing it for a live audience and, yeah. and trying out jokes and cutting jokes and the next day, coming into tech and saying, hey, we're going to do this again. So, so that's one thing that's extraordinary about them. Two, we were performing on Colin Quinn's set. So they, we were like, there's an entrance up right. There's an entrance down left. And we started tech. We never worked together before. And we were like, hey, top of show. Do you want to enter uh, up left or down right? And they sort of looked and they were like, Let's do up left. <laughs> and you know, and, that's, and that's, that's really how we blocked the show. And we went through it once and I was so nervous. I was like, oh my God, are they going to remember any of this blocking? They've only done it once during tech. And they remembered it all. I mean, they are like, not only such brilliant comedians, but they are, uh, you know, they know exactly where they want to be. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was incredible. And the lighting designer was, was also like I've never experienced something like this before. <laughs> all my like he is
1: like I don't need to adjust anything. <laughs> uh, the the whole set there, um, it's it's like they pulled in props from uh-huh. from old shows. Is yeah. that real? Is there actually a, a, a warehouse somewhere that has all these iconic props from big shows? No, well, so
0: it was kind of a riff on this because the Colin Quinn set, yeah. we were like on someone else's set. So the Broadway set, which is done by Scott Pass, which is so beautiful, which was like these different uh, sets from different other shows cobbled together, uh, was sort of a riff on a on a riff in that way. Uh, he, no, none of the sets uh, from like the August Wilson play or Steel Magnolias were real sets. But I do think that some of the, there was this rack of gramophones from my, I Am My Own Wife. And we had the same props designer as I Am My Own Wife. And we were in the same building as I Am My Own Wife. So I think some of those gramophones might have been the gramophones. There really, go.
1: Really? Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> and that got, got filmed um, and put on HBO, as did P.B. Herman's show, right? P.B. Herman
0: got filmed. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Oh is on Netflix. But oh, yeah, yeah, Netflix. yeah. Uh yeah, absolutely. It's so amazing when you you know you make something that's ephemeral and then someone captures it. It's really awesome to have
1: that. Is that what you is that where you like theater to head, like to have after it's done on Broadway it gets captured and released wider or, or do you prefer it to kind of be more localized and live? Here's what here's what I love about about theater.
0: Like the first show that got me really excited about theater was Tommy. And uh and that was, you know, uh this so it's felt like the first show I'd ever seen where uh, the boundaries between, like, pop music, popular culture, music, video, visuals, all that felt bridged with this sort of theater world. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the stuff that I love uh, sort of exists in those worlds where… where, where the the sort of area where two worlds meet. And one of those is the comedy world and theater world. And I think you look at Pee Wee or you look at Oh Hello, and there's something really sort of exciting and unique when you have the live comedy event meets a play. And uh, so something like that, it feels like just naturally there'd be, particularly with those performers, Paul Rubens, John Mulaney, Nick Kroll, there's an appetite beyond, uh, you know, the type of you know the number of people that can fit into a limited run. I think to see something like that, I think it's really exciting
1: to have people be able to access that. Yeah. Is there something lost? Do you think like when I when I watch a comedy on TV that I've seen live, it, I always feel like it's never as good. I don't I don't connect because I can pause it. I can go to the kitchen. Yeah, I, my, someone can come in and distract me. Oh, well, it's
0: definitely different you know the, the communal experience of being in a space with you know like seeing oh hello with nine hundred other people it's it's thrilling, but I guess you know next to not having anything yeah True. totally it's great. Uh, you know what was really a fun experience was working on the uh, Jumolini's radio city show uh, because in that instance, we got to we're simultaneously building a show for that live audience at Radio City, but also filming it for Netflix. So Mm. you're thinking about it from both, you're thinking about it for the camera and uh, for the audience in the theater at the same time. And that that was really exciting because there you're trying to make it, uh, you know, from the birthing of it,
1: equally great for for both audiences. Oh, yeah. So, you know, ahead of time, you're planning for it specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you still work with John a lot now? Uh, He's a friend and I, you know, I'd love to work with him again. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, such a fun guy. Everything he does, I love. I, I actually I watched the Netflix special, so yeah, oh, yeah. yeah it was very funny. Okay, oh, um, okay, cool. So it seems like you've always got a lot of stuff happening simultaneously. How do you actually decide what to wake up and work on in a given day?
0: Uh, that's a great question. I mean, the the because musicals, w- which are the thing I primarily work on, are are take so long to sort of come to production, and and you know, some never see the light of day. Uh, it, you, you don't really get to plan your life as much as as one might think. You don't get to say, okay, this year I'm doing Brigadoon, next year I'm doing a new musical by so-and-so. Uh, and so uh, a lot of it's governed by uh, sort of everyone else's schedules. You know, wh- wh- when is everyone available to do the workshop for XYZ? And so then you're sort of gearing up for that. I think the thing that's uh, the plate-spinning aspect of it is 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 really those shows that are in deeper development where you're sort of... Uh, trying to like kind of always push them along a little bit like mm-hmm. every week how can I help that show go to the next level is that you know by by doing a piece of development is it doing a writer meeting is it talking to a designer and going through sort of looking at renderings mm-hmm. and and uh, those that don't have a like sort of deadline that's looming are are the ones I think that are the ones that are always the bigger sort of Challenge and and then those shows you know then when Beetlejuice happens you know when suddenly at a certain point a show gains a kind of critical mass momentum and then suddenly it's happening you feel a real sense of pride and victory when when that thing that for like four or five years was sort of felt like is this happening is it not happening is suddenly like you're right. you're in, you're in rehearsal for it it's a it's a thrilling uh, feeling yeah
1: hmm. and it, well you said you feel a victory of course when it makes it do you take it personally if something doesn't
0: uh if something doesn't
1: uh
0: reach production uh yeah, yeah I mean well like you know you they're like your children you root for all of them and you uh you know you want them all to succeed and you definitely you know particularly for for the writers you want people's work to to uh uh to get their due chance to to, to be seen and received and uh and hopefully for the writers to be celebrated in mm-hmm. the way that they they you know they do too. I? I love the writers I get to work with. I feel very lucky, and I love the collaborative process. Uh, there's so many other mediums where you don't collaborate. Theater, particularly musical theater, is very, very, very collaborative, and it,
1: uh, and and that's one of the things that I just adore about it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I could. I, it, I was going to say I don't know if I could take the rejection, and then I was thinking, well, it is. Is it rejection? Is it not rejection? But I guess it is sort of you know, the, the production side of rejection. Actors deal with rejection every day with auditions and sure. and whatnot. But I guess, yeah, the the production side, I guess you could have an idea that doesn't get picked up. Or you have a workshop that you're like, oh, that's just not working. Let's cut that. Is that... So you have your own rejection to deal with. Is that, does that hurt at all? Is, is I mean, like I said, is it actually a personal thing? Or are you just like, yeah, it's just part of the business, shrug it off?
0: Oh, no, everything's personal. I mean, it's creative, it's artistic. So everything is. But... Uh, I don't know. I think as I'm getting older, I, I do understand that sometimes uh you know shows that I'm excited about that no one else is excited about that maybe that's a good, good indication <laughs> that maybe uh maybe they're misguided. Uh so I, you know I, and I think that uh yeah, I don't know that I have a great articulate answer for that. I apologize. Uh but yeah, I you know you you yeah. That's I got I think.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a good place to wrap up here. So at the end of the podcast, I ask everyone three standard questions. Please. The first one is what motivates you? Uh, motivate,
0: uh, motivates me. I think it's the, the artists I get to work with, you know, just thinking about that actor I get to collaborate with today. Oh, that designer, I get to see what they're working on. Um, that, that's the stuff that, that inspires
1: me and, and gets me excited about every project. Okay. So the second question is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? I think, you know, the thing that was really profound for me was the,
0: uh, not waiting for opportunities, like creating your own opportunities. Uh, I remember hearing this, uh, I was an intern, uh, at a theater company right out of college. And I remember hearing this adage that you have to have gray hair to direct and, uh, and I kept reading about, you know, read, read Time Out, and I was reading about all these productions, and I was like, oh, gosh, everyone's, like, my age now or in their 50s or 60s that's directing these shows. And, uh, and so I, I realized that no one was going to hire me to direct Tennessee Williams or Thornton Wilder or something like that, and I had to go make my own theater. So I created my own theater company really as a vehicle to get hired to direct things. Um, and uh, so I, I, th- I think that's important as to, you know, whatever... Uh, part of the, the theater industry you're in to take as much agency as you can to um, not rely on others uh, to, uh, to, you know, for, to pursue your art as much as, as much as you can.
1: Create your own art, yeah. Mm-hmm. yep. And then final question, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
0: Oh, uh, gosh. Uh, I love Spring Awakening.
1: I'd love to see Spring oh, yeah, Awakening right. over and over again. I think that show's great. Oh, that's wonderful. Good answer. Okay, so of course, visit uh, Beetlejuice online, beetlejuicebroadway.com, and you can connect with Alex on Instagram at alextimbers. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com or thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon to show your support. Theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Please rate, leave a review. Produced by Jillian Hockman, edited by Matthew Hendershot, and thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music, and then Alex Timbers. Thank you, thank for, you. for this wonderful conversation. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful.